0: It's a blessing. I almost want to preach on prayer now, the secret place with God. But that probably wouldn't be a good idea. I don't have notes on that, and we'd be here all night as I keep rambling. I'd invite you to take the Word of God with me. The First Kings chapter 16, chapter 18 will be our text, but I want to read just a few verses in chapter 16 before we get there and trust that the Lord will use this message in a special way. I feel like I'm preaching to the crowd tonight, to be honest with you, just preaching to the choir with... Uh, what we're going to look at, but I trust that this will be an encouragement and a motivation for us as we look into the Word of God. I've already told the pastor tonight, with uh, so many folks not being here this evening, and many of them rightfully so, that he's going to have to be extra vocal tonight to make up for Brother Trot and some others. And I enjoy that. You know, when you hear a good hearty amen as a preacher, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. It just gets you motivated a little bit. And so... I'm sorry, Miss Janice, if he's a little more vocal tonight. <laughs> First Kings chapter 16, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into the scriptures tonight. Heavenly Father, we do love you. Thank you again that we have this place that we can worship thee in spirit and in truth. Lord, thank you for the good service that we've had already tonight. Lord, I pray as we look into thy word... That thy Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would move throughout our midst, I pray that you would give me every word that I ought to speak, fill me with thy holy spirit 's power, and I would ask it in Jesus precious name. Amen. as we come to first Kings chapter number eighteen in a moment, what we 're going to find is that King Ahab has come on the scenes and he is now the king over israel and We read a few things about this king in chapter number sixteen. We find, beginning with me, please, in verse number 29, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, That he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the uh, Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him, and he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings that of Israel that were before him. We come to chapter 18, we find that this king, Ahab, is now sitting upon the throne of Israel. The Bible says in chapter 16 that he did more to provoke and to anger God than any of the kings that had come before him. We also find in chapter 16 that he takes to wife Jezebel, that wicked, wicked lady. And the Bible says that he began to serve the false god of Baal, this pagan god of Jezebel and of her people. And then, if that were not enough, the Bible says that he made a light thing of this, to worship this false pagan God. And what this did was led the children of Israel into serving false gods. And they provoked and angered the Lord Jehovah God. Because of this great sin which he had committed, and which had brought the rest of the nation into sin with him, God sent Elijah before him, who said to him in chapter... 17 and verse number 1 And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And so we find that God has sent Elijah to King Ahab to provide and to pass judgment upon him and upon the nation because of their great sin and wickedness. They provoked God to anger. They've worshipped false gods. They've turned their back on the one who loved them, the one who led them out of Egypt. They have turned their back on Jehovah God, and now judgment is upon this nation. Elijah tells them there's not going to be any rain, any dew, until I say again that there shall be. Until he beseeches God once again on their behalf. We come to chapter 18 finally, and we find out that it has now been three years without any rain upon the earth. Look with me in verse number one of chapter 18. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. So we find out, because of a lack of rain for these three years, there is a great famine that has passed upon Samaria. It was a difficult time. It was uncertain days. The judgment of God was upon this people. We come to chapter 18. God tells Elijah, It's time now to show yourself unto the king once again. And so as we begin to look at this very familiar passage, I want us to find tonight that we can trust in the Lord God of the Bible. I believe that there are few passages in all of Scripture that demonstrate the almighty power of our God like we find in chapter 18, and this is the same God that you and I serve tonight. May we find confidence, encouragement, and motivation as we look at God's Word tonight. You can imagine King Ahab is a little upset at this moment. In fact, we're going to read in a moment that he is. He's upset. He's angry with this prophet of God, Elijah. He is blaming this prophet for the troubles and the difficulties that are upon the land. If you're taking notes tonight, I would encourage you to write down, number one, we see the challenge that is given. If you'll skip over to verse number 17, we'll pick up our reading in verse number 17. The Bible says, It came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou in thy father's house." And that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and thou hast followed Balaam. You know, isn't it just like the world to look at those who serve God, to look at those who serve the Lord God of the Bible, who are faithful to the house of God, faithful to the word of God? Isn't it just like the world to look at the true followers of Jesus Christ and say, you're the ones that are causing all the trouble in the land. You're the ones that have troubled and caused all the turmoil and all the conflict and all the difficulties. And yet as they challenge the man of God, as this king says, you're the one that's caused the judgment and the issues and the heartache, the man of God very quickly answers back in return, it's not me, but it's you, because you have followed the false god Baal, and you have sinned against God, and have caused the trouble that you see upon the land. But it's just like the world to blame the true followers of Jesus Christ, is it not? And in reality, it is the carnal Christians, it is the world that have turned their back upon God that is to blame for the judgment of God. We as God's people must stay strong in the Word, strong in the Lord, to continue to press on. What we find here in these verses is that Elijah is going to ask a very pointed question to this king and to those that are gathered around. Look with me again as we continue reading. Verse number um, 19 now therefore send and gather to me all, the, all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab went, uh, sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him." But if Baal then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, "'It is well spoken.'" I bring your attention to verse number 21. We find Elijah here is questioning. He points a very he gives a very pointed question to King Ahab, to those that are gathered around. He says unto them in verse 21, How long halt ye between two opinions? Now I can imagine as he has requested of the king, gather all of Israel together. We know that there were prophets of Baal, prophets of the grove, but there were also children of Israel that were gathered together. There was quite a crowd that was involved here in this passage. And in front of all of the people, Elijah points out and says to them, How long are you going to halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow God. If Baal, then follow Baal. Now, I can imagine that as these people are now seeing Elijah, perhaps for the first time in three years, for the first time since the rain had ceased and the famine and the heartache and the devastation that came with God's judgment is now upon the land, perhaps many have thought, Hey, This is a good thing. It's been three years. Now Elijah will pray to his God and remove the judgment from from our land. Maybe now is the time that Elijah will bless the land and ask God for rain. And we know, beginning in verse number 1 of this chapter, that was God's intention. He had told him, go and stand before Ahab because I will send rain upon the earth. So perhaps they were excited, thinking, hey, this is a good thing. The man of God is back, and we're going to see rain once again. The famine is going to be over. But what the people had yet to understand is that God's hand of judgment would not be removed until the people had repented of their sins. Until they had turned back to God, God's judgment would stay upon them. And I would say to you and I tonight, we are familiar, and we understand that there has been a measure of God's judgment upon our land for many years now, because God's people, as well as the nation in which we live in, has turned their back on God a long time ago. You don't have to look very far to see churches shutting their doors, not because of this virus. This has been going on for years. We've looked for excuses to have less church, to have less preaching. We see people that have trusted in any and everything but the God of the Bible, and there has been a Measure of judgment upon our nation. Now, I believe tonight that God is gracious, God is merciful, God is long suffering, and I believe with all of my heart God can give revival to a land, God can stay His judgment, and can turn back His hand of judgment upon a nation. We know the verse in the Bible, if my people which are called by my name will seek my face, humble themselves and pray then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. God can withstay his judgment. He is a merciful and a gracious God. But I submit to you tonight, God does not stay his judgment until his people have repented of their sins. Until they have turned back to God. It was not at the beginning of chapter 18 that the rain would come. We know that Towards the end, God will again send rain upon the earth, but it is not at this moment here in the beginning of this chapter. Elijah here asks this question, and what this question is, is not a question on whether or not he's looking for an answer. He's not questioning them, hey, will you just give me an answer to this? I'm a little confused. What he is doing is he is reproving the people, he is calling out their sin. And he is reproving them because what they have done is mixed the worship of God with the worship of Baal. They have mixed together worshiping Almighty God and worshiping something or something else that has no business taking the place of Almighty God in their hearts and in their lives. What they would do is they would worship God to please the prophets, maybe to gain some favor. But then on the other hand, they would worship Baal to please Jezebel and to gain favor with the people that were there. And I wonder tonight, with those listening on the radio and those around the world and those in the auditorium tonight, how many times you and I are guilty, and this world is guilty, and our nation is guilty of mixing the worship of our God with other small, lowercase gods, false deities, things that have no business taking the place of God in our hearts. And yet the sin of the people as they worshipped Baal on the one hand and worshipped God on the other is the same sin that you and I commit in our own hearts and lives. We do it oftentimes without even realizing that we're doing it. So often it's secondhand. it's in our flesh. As we yield to our flesh, rather than walking in the Spirit, we find ourselves placing confidence in something other than in the God of the Bible to meet our needs, to give us the answers that we're searching for. What I'm saying tonight is we need to trust in the God of the Bible. There are so many people that are content to go through the motions of prayer and the motions of Bible reading and the motions of being in church when it's convenient. I believe we all know people, and we, at times in our own lives, we go through seasons where we only study the Bible and we only go through the motions of prayer in church when it's convenient for us, when it benefits us in some way. There are folks who are more than willing on Sunday mornings to put on their Sunday best and come to church because, man, it's going to make them look good and it's going to make them feel popular, and there's going to be somebody that they're trying to impress. And yet, Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, They're completely different. Why? Because church has become a time of convenience for them. Not only that, but there are people who are content to go through the motions of church and being a Christian and a servant of God in a time of need. How often is it that we find we only turn to God in our greatest moments of need? And yet, at all other times, we place our trust in any and everything else but God. How many times... Is it that we see loved ones and family members and church members and again as we look in the mirror of our own heart and our own soul, when something takes place in our lives, when there's uncertainty, when there's questions, when there's trials, our first response is to rely on ourselves, or to run to a friend or to run to something, somebody other than to our prayer closet in the secret place with God and find the help that we need. And what we do, oftentimes, without even knowing it, we have exalted something above the Lord God in our hearts. He is not to be second. He is not to be the last resort. He's to be number one. He is to have the preeminence. They have mixed the worship of God with the worship of Baal. And we do that so often, maybe not to the extent of a false pagan god, but with just stuff, things that we depend on, My friend, I want you to see this evening that my God desires to have the preeminence. He wants it. He deserves it. Beyond just desiring to be the Lord of my life, He deserves it. Why? Why does God deserve to be your God, number one in your hearts? Because of what He did on the cross of Calvary. We love Him. Why? He first loved us. He initiated that love. The Bible says He loved us when we were unlovable, ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We love Him because He first loved us. And He gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sins. He bore in His body the sin of the world, not His own sin, my sin. Why? Because He loves me. I am wicked. I am ungodly. I am guilty in the sight of Almighty God. And yet, He loved me anyway. He deserves to be the Lord of my life. He deserves to have the preeminence. By the way, the Bible tells us he is a jealous God. He says, there "Thou shalt have no other God before me; we are commanded to love God. We are commanded to have God be number one in our hearts and in our lives he 's a jealous God he 's not going to share his worship with anything else. He tells us very plainly in the New Testament, we cannot serve two masters. you cannot serve God and Mammon we're not going to benefit whatsoever by having God on the one hand and things on the other, and what the people are doing here in chapter 18 is they are content to have one foot in the Bible and yet one foot in the world and they actually believe that somehow they're going to have the blessings of God upon their lives. Friend, that cannot happen. You will never have the blessings of God on your life while you are mixing the worship of Almighty God with something else. He's a jealous God and he has the right to be so. I want you to see he asks this pointed question. He is rebuking them for their sin. But then notice with me the challenge that he gives in verse number 22. He says here, Elijah said unto the people, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now you think about this. Here we have Elijah, one man standing against at least 450 prophets. He's not afraid, he's calling out their sin. Thank God for the man of God that will stand against these kind of odds. He understood that his God was bigger than their God, and his God is bigger than his problems. And God is bigger than anything we face. Thank God for a faithful man of God. Verse 23, Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And I'll dress the other bullock, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under. And you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of Jehovah the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said... It is well spoken. You know... What I find about this is this was a challenge that Elijah had given. These multitudes of Baal worshipers have gathered along with the lonely prophet, and he basically says to them, We're both going to build altars. We're going to prepare sacrifices and dress the sacrifices and lay those upon the altar, and we're going to pray fervently to the gods that we serve, and the one who consumes the sacrifice by fire will be proven, demonstrated to have the power to be the one true and living God. Now, what I find in verse number 24, look at this with me. This is amazing. Verse 24, look at the last phrase. The people answered and said, It is well spoken. Can you imagine... In the day and age in which we live, it's not much different from the day in which they lived. We don't see fire being brought down from heaven very often, do we? I don't think any of us has ever seen that. To see this in their day would have been a miraculous thing, would have been something that only an all-powerful, almighty God could have done. And yet all of these people said, I like that. That is well-spoken. Let's do that. You know what they're saying? They are saying that they have such blind faith in their false God that they actually believed that their false pagan God could bring fire down from heaven. Can you imagine the amount of faith wrongly placed in this being? Can you imagine the blind faith and the sincerity that they must have had to actually believe that they could... Go and pray to this false pagan God and that he would respond and bring fire down. You see, this was not something that they were making light of. This was not something that they uh, thought, well, this will be interesting. This will occupy our time and be entertaining. They believed it. They had confidence that Baal would answer and rain fire down. They said, hey, this is well spoken. Notice with me as we continue to verse number 25. 25. I want you to see, secondly tonight, we've seen the challenge that was given. I want you to see the heartbreaking response, and this is the meat of the message. Look with me in verses 25 down to verse 29. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first for your many, and call on the name of your gods, and put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying... O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past, and that they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded we see what's taking place as the multitude of Baal worshippers began to cry out to their false God. The Bible says they did so from the morning until noon, until the time of the evening sacrifice. And they were crying out fervently. As you read what transpired and what took place here... The Bible says that they were leaping upon the altar, they were cutting themselves with knives and lancets until the Bible says in verse number 28, the blood gushed out upon them. Now you imagine this, they weren't just um, provoking some emotional stirring, they were actually cutting themselves Not little paper cuts. The Bible says the blood gushed out of their bodies. They were, it was chaotic. If you were watching this scene take place, at least 450 people leaping and jumping and crying out from morning to noon to the evening. And then they begin to cut themselves and blood is gushing out upon them. If you were a bystander watching this, you would probably begin to think, man, this is chaos. It had to look absolutely chaotic, maddening. Can I pause for a moment and say, I praise God that when I worship God, I worship God in spirit and in truth. I serve a loving God who demands of me prayer, demands of me time on my knees, time in my Bible, singing praises to his name, telling others about His glory. That's how I worship God. I'm thankful that my God does not require of me to physically harm myself in order to bring glory to His name. I'm glad that my God is a God of order. When I read my Bible, I find order. When I get on my knees, I find a God of order. And when I serve Him, it's not an emotional fit. It's not stirring up and trying to muster up something that is fake. I serve God with my heart And in my spirit. And I thank God that He is a God of order. He loves us. He cares about us. And yet these guys are leaping and cutting themselves, and the blood is gushing out, and it's mass chaos. And they come to a final conclusion in verse number 29. The Bible says, There was no one to answer, nor any that regarded. I want you to see that the heartbreaking tragedy of this response is that no matter how sincere they were, no matter how much blind faith they had placed in Baal, the Bible says there would be no voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded now I want you to understand, we look at the prophets of Baal as being very wicked, very evil people. If you look at this story, they're the villains. But I want you to see, they're so much more than just villains. These were souls. These were men, women that God loved. Men and women whom God had led by a strong hand out of Egypt, and yet they have turned their back on God. We kind of, when we read through passages like this, say, yeah, you deserve that. Yes, they did, but they were still people whom God loved. They were people whom God wanted to extend grace and mercy if they would repent and turn away from their sins, and they had been so blinded, so fooled, so deceived by the God of this world that they had such sincerity, such blind faith, and for all of their effort, for all of their crying, for all of their working up that they did... The Bible says there was no voice, nor any that answered, nor any that regarded. You know what they found out? This God would offer no help, had no power, no words of encouragement, no ability to help them in their time of need. I said just a few moments ago, I don't believe that there's any passage in the Bible that demonstrates as strongly as we see in this passage that there is no power, no help, no ability in anything or anyone save the Lord Jesus Christ. He has all power. He is the one alone that is worthy of praise and worship. And though sincere as they may have been, there would be no denying the lack of power by there being no response from this false God. Can I tell you what the tragedy is? You walk outside of those doors and you step into a world, you step into the city of Ocala that is filled with men and women and boys and girls who have placed their blind faith and sincerity in so many things that are going to take them straight to hell unless we as God's people show them that the only power is in the power of God. He is the only one who has the ability to give the help, the salvation that is needed in their lives. We look around and uh, we see the contemporary movement, the mega churches. We see the the TV evangelists that preach and promote things that are not biblical. We see other people uh, that are atheists. We see people involved in false religions. We see folks that are just going through life, going through the motions, trusting in themselves and in their knowledge and. What we find is they're sincere, they're real people, they actually believe in those things. And yet those things are taking them straight to hell. They've been deceived by the God of this world, the devil. And it's tragic and it's heartbreaking. I would say that oftentimes you can look at Islam and you can look at all these false religions and many times we find that people involved in pagan worship are far more sincere than most Christians today. And it does not matter if their faith is stronger than our faith and their sincerity is more than our sincerity. Anything outside of the God of this Bible is not going to give them anything that they need. As we look into this passage, the false god that the people are dealing with is Baal. But I would say to you that there are countless idols, countless false gods that people fall subject to every day. Perhaps this very moment there are things in your life that you have placed your trust in and you've placed your confidence in and somehow those things have superseded or even replaced Almighty God in your life and you find yourself running to this place or to this person or to this thing to find help and to find answers when you ought to be on your knees searching the scriptures and seeking after God for the help that you need. Now, we could be here all night long listing the things that people trust in. We could be here all night listing all the idols. It could be pride where we just trust in ourselves and our confidence is in me, and I don't need anybody else. It could be a friend whose opinion that we value above God's. Again, how often do we run to other people and ask for advice rather than going to God? It could be music that somebody would escape to. It's not godly music, never is. But we plug it into our ears and we find an escape from the world. could be a person that you've exalted in your mind to be above the Lord. Knowledge, money, government. There's so many things that people place their faith and confidence in. In the times of need and in the times of trouble, many have fallen just to false religions entirely, such as worshiping Mary rather than the Lord Jesus, worshiping Baal, as we see here in our passage. And the message and what I'm telling you tonight is no matter how sincere or how much faith that is placed in these idols, in your greatest time of need, they're not going to give you any answers your greatest time of trouble, they're not going to provide any wisdom because there is no wisdom outside of Almighty God. Be careful that you've placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to summarize this message into one phrase, it would be this. Make sure it's God that you trust. Make sure it's God that you have placed your confidence in for everything in your life. Be careful that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Faith in anyone and anything else will take you straight to hell. You know, it's interesting. I believe tonight, those of you who are here, you probably have been saved for many, many years. And I have been saved from a child. And yet, we are content to trust God with our salvation. We can trust God with the miraculousness of taking us to heaven when we die. You think about it. Jesus Christ has enough power in his being and his deity to take a sinful, guilty person And by His blood, impute upon His account righteousness. So that as God the Father looks at your life and my life, instead of seeing the wicked ugliness of our sin, God looks and He sees the pure, the righteous blood of Jesus on our account. We are become children of God. That is amazing. That's a miracle. Because we don't deserve it. We're guilty. We're sinners. And yet God has provided for us salvation and all. We'll trust God for our eternal security. We'll trust God to take us to heaven when we die. If he can do that, how much more can we trust him day to day for our daily necessities? How much more can we run to God and know that he loves and cares and will meet our needs every time? Think not of tomorrow. He says, I already know what you need. And I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. I will give you what you need. Our faith must be in the Bible and in the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice with me as we conclude the message tonight. We've seen the challenge that was given. We've seen the heartbreaking response. Notice with me in verses 30 to 39. We see God's power demonstrated. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, (coughs) and that I have done all these things (coughs) at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God we find God's power is demonstrated. Elijah gathered all the people together. He repaired the altar and he laid his sacrifice upon the altar. And just to prove that there would be no denying the power of God, he soaked the altar in water. The sacrifice, the wood, he dug a trench about and filled the trench with water. Bible says he placed 12 stones about to represent the tribes of Israel. And in verse 36, the Bible says Elijah prays And the fire of God fell. The mighty power of God was revealed. Now, I want you to see something interesting. I believe we can learn something about Elijah's prayers compared to those of Baal. You remember, the prophets of Baal began to leap out and and cut themselves and and act in a chaotic manner. And we look at Elijah and we hold him as a special individual, and he is. He is the man of God. He is the God-called man of the hour. He is a prophet of the Lord. But I want you to understand, Elijah, Elijah is just a man like you and I. He's just a regular, ordinary individual whom God saw fit to use because his life was yielded to God. And I want you to notice his prayer is stark contrast to that of the prophets of Baal. When you see Elijah praying in verse number 36, we don't find him trying to stir up some fit of emotion. We don't see him doing all kinds of chaotic things. I want you to see what he does. He begins to pray, Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. Notice this phrase, and that I am thy servant. You know, Elijah was the man of God, and in this prayer, he did not see fit to boast and to brag about himself. He said, God, I'm your servant. You want to know the difference? They were praying to a false god and acting completely chaotic. And Elijah gets on his face before the one true and living God in humility and says, Lord, I am your servant. Would you hear my prayer? You know, I think there's something to be learned there. I think there's something that we can gain from this. To be humble, to have humility when we go to the throne of God. I also find that the prophets of Baal had prayed from morning to noon to the evening sacrifice. There was none that answered, no voice, none that regarded. And in verse 36, Elijah, in humility, on his knees, humbly, saying, God, I'm your servant. Would you prove your power? Would you show the world, show the children of Israel that you are mighty God? And immediately the fire of God fell Oh, God had respect to Elijah's prayer. Why? It was humble. It was in humility. It was in confidence. Elijah was not looking for his own self-promotion so he could beat his chest. He wanted them to know the God he served was the only God. And God immediately demonstrated and revealed His mighty power. Not only did God answer, it would have been enough to see fire coming down from heaven. But the Bible says he went above and beyond. He consumed the stones and the dust and the water along with the sacrifice. There would be no doubting, no denying who was truly God. It was the one that answered. And he went above and beyond to show his people that he was God. Not just the fire, but he consumed it all. Friend, what I'm saying to you tonight is all the idols and all the things in the world that we may depend on will not give us any answers, only Jesus Christ. He has the power to answer in your loneliest hour, the power to answer in your most difficult trial, the power to provide for you in your greatest time of need. He is the one that can give perfect joy and peace when there's no joy and peace to be found. He is the one who has the power to take you to heaven when you die. Praise God. We serve a mighty God. Notice how the story ends. The people see the demonstration of the power. And and it had to be heartbreaking. It had to be a, a sight for them to see. They had such blind faith and confidence. They're praying on the one hand, and then off to the side, Elijah's making fun of them making fun of their false god all he's sleeping he's taking a nap he needs to be awakened and elijah's probably having a pretty good time but all the while that's just driving a wrench more and more in their hearts and perhaps at this point they're devastated we thought that we had it figured out we thought that our god had power but now we know where the power resides and in verse 39 the bible says when the people saw it they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. What happens? They got a glimpse of God. And their immediate response is they fell on their faces and they worshiped the Lord. Why? Elijah showed them something they hadn't seen in a long, long time. Elijah showed them the God of the Bible. And it drove them to their faces. And they worshiped Almighty God. Hey, church, what greater time is there in all the world than right now to show Ocala, to show this world the God of the Bible, to show them somebody perhaps they haven't seen in a long time, to show the carnal Christians, to show the lost and dying world that it is God and God alone who can help them in uncertain days. Nothing else will suffice. Nothing else will do but the God of the Bible. And if you and I will be strong and will stick to it, and like Elijah, will beseech God on their behalf that God would show Himself strong in these days and would use Central Baptist Church to be a beacon and a light of the power of God. How many could we see turn to God on their faces worshiping the Lord? That was the response. If you were to go down to verse number... 41, the Bible says here, After the people had confessed their sins, they began to worship the Lord God. Elijah kind of leans over to Ahab and says, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. What happened? The people repented. The people began to worship God, and the judgment was stayed on their land. God brought the rain, and the famine would come to an end. Why? They turned their hearts again to the Lord God. I'm concerned about our nation. I'm concerned about God's people. I believe, again, there is a measure of God's judgment upon us, but it's not the end, and we're not without hope. If we would humble ourselves and turn back to God and show the world the God of the Bible, God can once again send the rain on our nation. We can see the revival that we need to see And we can show this world the God of the Bible that perhaps many have not seen in a long, long time. Friend, make sure it's God that you trust. Let's bow for a word of prayer.